to read a passage of scripture from the third chapter of the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 through 21. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the Ephesian church, and he tells them something about his prayer life. His prayer life. This is what he says. For this cause, this cause was the desire of his heart that he mentions in verse 13. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ might dwell in your hearts by faith, and that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Now I think I'm here something in the same fashion that the Emmaus disciples returned to Jerusalem after they had met the Lord along the path of life and had spoken with him and he with them and their hearts had been made to burn. And someone like Mary Magdalene, who spoke with him in the garden and then hurried back <coughs> to the assembly to tell him the message that she had received from him. And I wondered on the way to the hall whether I'd be able to really tell you the message or not, because it may have been a personal message for me, but my heart's desire is to share it with you, that it might also minister to your needs. I learned a couple of things about my fellowship with Jesus that I think probably are worth passing on. One of them is that he doesn't always have something to say to me. And that seems like a very obvious fact, but one that somehow I've stumbled over for all of these many years. It seemed to me that if the Lord wasn't saying something to me at all times, I felt unspiritual. And uh, I felt like it must be my fault that he's talking and I'm not listening, because if I were listening, I'd surely hear what he had to say. And uh, last week, while I was gone for a few days, I was uh, reading a magazine, and suddenly I had a little discussion with myself. And the discussion went something like this. Why are you reading the magazine? You ought to be reading the Bible. And I thought about that a little while, and I thought about lying, but I decided since I was arguing with myself, there wasn't use lying to myself. So I just said, I'm not reading the Bible because I don't want to read the Bible. And then... The argument continued. You ought to be wanting to read the Bible. I know I ought to be wanting to read the Bible, but I don't want to read the Bible. And that's why I'm not reading the Bible. But how will Jesus say anything to you if you're not reading the Bible? And it's not as though I haven't read the Bible. I've read the Bible many times, and I have the promise of the Holy Spirit that he will bring all things to my remembrance whatsoever he said to me. And finally, since I wasn't getting anywhere arguing with myself, I decided to just tell Jesus about it. And so I said, Lord, 
I don't want to read the Bible, but that doesn't mean I don't want to hear what you have to say. And if you have something to say to me, I want to hear it. And any time you're ready to talk, I'm ready to listen. And uh, nothing happened. <laughs> he didn't say anything, so I just continued reading the magazine. And he didn't say anything the rest of the night, so I just slept all night and didn't worry about it. And he didn't say anything in the morning when I got up. And he didn't say anything all morning. And I went along just reminding him, Lord, I told you last night I'm ready to listen whenever you're ready to talk. And then all of a sudden, late in the afternoon, he just said, I'm ready to talk. And I didn't have to say I'm ready to listen, because he did for me what he has done so many times. But when he's ready to talk, he just takes possession of my heart. I can't think about anything else. I can't listen to anything else. I can't hear anything else. Just him. So we went aside and we sat down on the riverbank for several hours and he talked to me and I listened. I didn't say anything. I just listened. And he filled my heart. And the next day the same thing. And I'd like to tell you a little bit of what we talked about. It's found in this passage of scripture. This passage is one of the precious portions from Ephesians. It has to do with Paul's prayer life. And this is what Jesus said to me about it. I want you to pay attention to this prayer, because this prayer is for you. Now, I've been thinking uh, in the day prior to this conversation how much I needed the prayers of God's people, and how much I really needed to know that somebody was out there praying for me. I have someone every day ask me to pray for them, and sometimes I need to know that somebody's praying for me. And so Jesus said, I want you, first of all, to rest assured that somebody's praying for you. He said, Paul, Paul prayed for you. Now, he didn't know you by name, but he prayed for you. He prayed for all the saints in this prayer. And saints are not holy people because of what they do. Saints are holy people because of what they've been made by Jesus. Now, you have his holiness. And you have his righteousness. And that makes you a saint, one set apart for the glory and use and purpose of God. And he prayed for all the saints in this prayer. And so he said, first of all, I want you to know that Paul prayed for you. He had the Ephesians in mind, but not by name and not by face, but the Ephesians as saints. And he saw not just simply those people who were known to him by face and name, but he saw all those who would afterward become saints of God. And so Paul prayed for you, and it was the Holy Spirit praying in Paul for you. So whatever the Holy Spirit prayed through Paul for you, I promise you, will come to pass. Because it's not according to your desire, but it's according to mine. And this is not what you will, but it's what I will. And now I'd like to tell you what I will. First of all, this prayer, unlike most prayers prayed by Christians, is for the inner man, the little man inside. This prayer is not for the needs of the outer man, not a place in all of Paul's prayers, do you hear him praying, for anyone's sicknesses, for their employment situation, for their financial gain. No place does he praise for the problems in their life. 
No place does he ever trouble God about the details of these things. But he concentrates all of his prayers, like a great searchlight, on the needs of the inner man. For he learned by experience, and so have I in some measure, that when the inner man is where he ought to be, the outer circumstances do not matter. You can be in prison at the midnight hour and you can sing praises to God in the fellowship with Jesus. You can be under a pile of stones at Lystra, but you yourself can be in paradise in the third heavens with Jesus himself, hearing unspeakable things not lawful to utter. You can live in the complete and utter chaos of life in the outer man as long as there is cosmos in the inner man inside. Paul knew this precious lesson. And so the first thing Jesus reminded me was pay no attention to the chaos of the outer man. And pay no attention to the confusion of the things that trouble you. Look to the inner man. This is my will, that he be strengthened, that he be built up, that he be encouraged. And I have something particular to talk to you about. I want you to pass from your knowledge of the love of Jesus to the experience of it. And in the experience of it, I want you to know the height and the breadth and the length and the depth of it. This will root and ground you. It will strengthen you in the inner man. You'll never be tossed to and fro by every wind that blows on you. And you'll be shaken by every earth tremor around you. This and this alone is all you need. This and this alone is sufficient for everything in your life. I'm surprised that Paul didn't pray that my knowledge would increase, but he didn't. All you say he prayed that you might know the love of Christ. But the whole point of his prayer is that you might pass from knowledge to experience. Because he uses two distinct words for knowledge. As you may be able to comprehend, that speaks to the mind, being able to grasp or lay hold of a thing so as to understand it. I pray that you might be able to understand, lay hold, comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and then... I want you to know with experiential knowledge born only in the heart and a knowledge that will progress from day to day as you explore the limitless dimensions of his love. I want you to experience what you know. Does that make sense? It isn't enough to know. What good is it to know a thing if it has no practical experience? And Jesus longs for you and he longs for me to know by experience his love. You've known about it for a long time. You've comprehended it for a long time. You've been able to lay hold of it so as to understand it for a long time. You've taken it by faith. Now Jesus says it's time that we walk in some heartfelt experience of it. And the plumb, the unplumbable, I invented that word, depths of his love. And the soar to the unsoarable heights of his love and to reach out to the unreachable width of his love and to extend our experience to the unattainable length of his love. This is what it's all about and this is what he talked to me about. 
and I'm not interested in you learning doctrine with your head. I'm not interested in you accumulating knowledge in your mind. I'm now interested in you accumulating some experience and reality of the love of Jesus. Many reminded me of John 14, 6, where he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And I said, Lord, I know this. He said, I know you know it. Now I want to tell you what it really means. You found the way to my Father a long time ago when you came to the cross of Calvary. That's where the way is found. He said, I'm the way. I'm the blood-sprinkled way. I'm the sacrificial way. I'm the one who rent the veil in my own death at the cross of Calvary. You learned the way to my Father. When you stood at the cross that day by faith and you looked upon me as your substitute and your Savior. And then you passed from knowing me as the way to learning me as the truth. And oh, how much truth you've learned. And he reminded me of all the truth he had taught me down through the years. As I think about the tape ministry, I'm amazed daily at the truth he's given to us. Now he said, I want that truth to be light. For I'm not only the way, I'm the truth, and I'm also the life. And the only truth you're ever going to hold is the truth that becomes life in you. And he said, remember in the 15th chapter of John how I talked about myself as the true vine and you as the branches? And I gave you a double application. I said, I want to abide in you. You know this, he said that I do abide in you. But I want you to abide in me. And that's different. And then he directed my attention to this prayer where he brought first of all to my remembrance how I had known for so many years that he dwelt in me. Now he said, I'm interested that I settle down and be at home in you. You've known for a long time that I dwelt in you. Now, I want you to dwell in me by knowing that I am securely and settled down and at home in you, comfortable in you, relaxed in you, at peace in you, as well as you being at peace in me. And I said, Lord, how can you do such a thing as that? He said, I, I can only do it as you grow in your experiential knowledge of the limitless dimensions of my love for you. Lord, I know you love me, but I want you to know how much I love you. Lord, I've known for years that you love me, but I want you to explore the endless dimensions of my love. And when you're through exploring, when you think you've gained all the knowledge that there is of my love, I have this to say to you. My love surpasses all the knowledge you will ever accumulate in this life and the life to come. My love goes beyond every height and every length and every depth and every breadth. You figure out what the dimensions are, and I'll tell you this, my love goes beyond. Is that worth hearing? I don't know whether it is or not. Maybe it was just for me. But I share it with you because it did my heart good. This is all the need any man has. I don't care whether you're unsaved or whether you're saved. I don't care whether God is your father or the devil is your father. You have the same need 
and that's to know by the experience of your heart the love that Jesus has for you. There's only one place, according to the scriptures, that we can learn that love, and that's the reason I entitled the chapter in my book on the cross, The Proof of Love. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave his Son to be the propitiation for our sin. And hereby, John writes in another place, we perceive, we know, we understand, we comprehend the love of God. And then he goes on to tell us that perceiving the love of God takes place at the cross of Calvary. Oh, what thoughts that stirred in my heart. Because when Jesus wanted to talk to me about his love, he said, we started to cross. Go back with me now, he said, and remember who it was that loved you there. Remember that my death at the cross of Calvary was because of my love for you. Remember who it was that loved you. I, the sinless, holy Son of God. Think what it cost me to love you. I humbled myself. Not among men, though he was humbled among men, but this humbling, this humiliation of the Lord Jesus took place in the only presence where true humiliation for the Son of God could take place, and that was in the presence of his Father and of the holy angels. It was there that he stripped himself. It was there that he took a lesser place lower than the angels, he reminded me. It was there that he humbled himself even to the obedience of the death of a cross. For he knew full well before he left heaven what coming to earth would mean. Remember, he said, who loved you? I, the Son of God, the one who spoke and the whole universe came into being. The one who just wished it so and all life appeared. Me, the light of mankind, the light of the universe. Me, the holy, sovereign, omnipotent God, designed who loved you. Loved you in a self-sacrificial way. To come all the way from the glory and to lay aside all the rights and the privileges that were mine. And to plumb the very depths of hell in my death for you. To carry away your sins. To stand accountable for your sin in the presence of a holy God. To rise again on the third day to prove to you and to be accepted by God and to be satisfied to God for all your sins. To be seated at the right hand for you. To make intercession for you. To send the Holy Spirit to pursue you and convict you and enable you to comprehend my love. Now, he said, I'm interested that you enter into the experience of the dimensions of that love. And he reminded me of what all the cross had, had done for me. He talked to me about how much he loved me. And it, pardon me for putting this in the first person, but it was personal to me, and I know the Holy Spirit would make that application to you. He reminded me that, that when he loved me, that he had given me a love that was a constant, never-changing, steadfast love that would last throughout eternity. He said it would never ebb and it would never flow. He said, I've given to you a love that wants you 
doesn't merely need to use you. He reminded me that he had loved me with a love that sensed no duty and felt no responsibility, but loved because of the sheer joy of loving me. He reminded me that he loved me because I was precious in his sight, though I couldn't comprehend that preciousness. He reminded me that he loved me with a joyful love that enabled him to sing a hymn of praise the very night in which he was betrayed. And while hanging on the cross, quoted from the psalm book of his people, praises to a holy God who would soon turn his back on him for me. He reminded me that his love was a joyful privilege and it was a portion of the joy that was set before him. And that when he sacrificed not his life alone, but himself, that he did it willingly and he did it gladly and he did it joyfully. And that was the kind of love that he had for him. And he said, now you've known for a number of years the results of that love. What it did for you, what it accomplished for you, how it, how it, for instance, abolished and banished and banished death from your fears, how it made dying even in the body a privilege and a blessing. It reminded me how it had brought to an end all condemnation from God, and delivered me from the fear of judgment, knowing that at the cross of Calvary, because Jesus died for me, I had already been present at judgment, acquitted and given his life. He reminded me that his love demonstrated at the cross had removed my sin as far as the east is removed from the west, and that his father and my father, his God and my God, no longer remembered my sins or my iniquities, and blessed was I, because my sins were covered and my transgressions removed. And he said, while we're talking about my love for you, remember that it opened heaven. But when I ascended to the glory and sat down, these were his words, I took possession of heaven for you. I went there and staked it out for you. I went there like a forerunner to make it safe for you. I went there to assure you that the veil was gone and that the only veil between God and you would be myself. I secured heaven for you I shut the doors of hell against you. And I did something for you that would make it possible to give you the most precious gift of all. Listen, I gave you my own father. Now, my father, he said, gave you his own son, but I gave you my only father. Do you ever think about that? I said, Lord, what does it mean? He said, at the cross when I died, I gave to my closest friend, the dearest woman on earth, my mother. But in my resurrection, I gave to my dearest friends, the dearest person in heaven, my father. Don't you remember, he said at the resurrection, how I said to Mary, I ascend to my God and your God and to my Father and your Father. I gave you my Father. All I have. 
I gave John my mother that he might have the obligation and responsibility to care for her the rest of his life. But I gave you my father that he might care for you the rest of your life. These are the fruits, he said, of my love for you. I know, he said, you know that I love you. You've learned all of this. You've comprehended it. And that's a part of this prayer you see fulfilled already. The Holy Spirit prayed through Paul that I might first comprehend, apprehend, lay hold and seize in some measure of understanding what the love of Christ is all about. He did that when the Holy Spirit convicted me and brought me to Jesus, taught me the precious truth of God. And now Paul says it's time for your doctrine to become reality. It's time for what you've learned with your head to become real in your hearts. I want you now to know with a heart experience the dimensions of my love. So I want you to explore the breadth, the length, and the depth and the height. And so I meditated on this word dimensions. That's not here, but it's certainly descriptive of these four words he uses. They are terms of dimension. And then I got all lost in my thoughts because all I could remember about dimensions were that they were all relative. I mean, how long is long? How high is high? How deep is deep? How wide is wide? Without a standard of measure, nobody can tell you how wide wide is or how high high is. So I said, Lord, the first thing you're going to have to give me is a standard of measure. How can I know what these dimensions are if I have nothing to relate them to? How long is a string? How far is it to there? Depends on where you are and where there is. Lord, what's the standard of measure? And he surprised me. I thought he was going to say the cross, but he didn't. He said, we're talking now about the inner man. This prayer is for the inner man, and the standard of measure are the experiences of the inner man. And then in brief, he said, you ask me how wide the breadth of it is? It spreads over you wherever you are. It spreads over every place. It spreads over everything. It spreads over every person in your life. It covers the great trackless widths of your sins. The multitude of them is broader, he said, than all your transgressions. It's wider than all your failures, all your faults, all your spots and blemishes and wrinkles and shortcomings. I'll leave the standard of measure he set up to you. Wherever you see an experience in your life that you think is reaching beyond the dimensions of my love, remember this. The breadth, the depth, the height, and the length of it will exceed any knowledge you've ever had. It's broader than all. 
And he said, you'd like to know how long it is? It was long enough to reach to Peter, though he were out on the waves and about to sink. Long enough to take him by the hand where he was and lift him up again. How long is my love, he said, it was long enough to reach to the bowels of a Roman prison and warm the heart of my servant Paul. So never fear about how long my love is. It reached clear to the Isle of Patmos when my servant John had been exiled and lifted him into the glory on the Lord's day and revealed myself to him. It was long enough to reach Thomas in his unbelief. Long enough to reach all the way down the Emmaus Road and lay hold of two despondent and discouraged believers and set their hearts on fire and make myself known to them in the breaking of bread and send them back to saints with a message from me. And he reminded me of this and I remind you whenever the press of the circumstances of your life begins to close in on you and when the multitude of voices around you seem to drown out mine, and when it seems as you've gone so far, you've separated yourself from me and I from you, remember that my arm is not shortened, that it cannot save, and it's long enough to reach you wherever you go. Never be afraid, he said, to go wherever it is you find yourself going. My love is longer than any journey you'll ever take. It's broader than any experience you'll ever know. And I said, Lord, let's talk about the depth of it, because deep is a favorite word of mine. And he said, well, I know it is, and you're always sinking. <laughs> you're always sinking, aren't you? And you always say you're going deeper than you ever went before. And you always say when you arrive at wherever it is you think you've arrived, that this is the deepest deep you've ever known. You're always sinking, you're always going down. The depth of my love is relative to your depth. It will not only go as deep as you go, it will go deeper than you go. It will surpass any knowledge of any depth you've ever known or experienced. Never be afraid, he said, to go down. Because you cannot go down far enough to get beneath my love. My love will always be beneath you. And when you feel yourself going down, he said, just let go and go down. Because when you get to the bottom, you'll find that the bottom of every one of your depths is lined with the cushion of my love. And you go down. And I allow you to go down in order that you might learn more about how much I love you. I don't know whether I'm saying anything to you or not, but he said, don't be afraid to explore the dimensions of life. Don't be afraid to go down. Go down as deep as you dare, and you'll only learn more of my love when you go. Go out. Go out as far as you dare go, and when you get to the end, you'll find my love. Go as long as you dare go, and when you come to the end, my love will be there waiting on you. 
and it will exceed any knowledge you've had along the way, and the half of it will never yet have been told you. That part about the deep encouraged me, and he said the deep calls unto deep. He said that's a favorite expression of yours. Do you know what it really means? It means this, that the depth of my love responds to the depth of your need. And where deep, where deep is, my love is deeper still. Deep calls unto deep. And the final depth to which you plunge will only be a new experience in my love. Then I got to thinking about the theory, and I suppose it's true, that the universe is a closed system. And Einstein tried to give some comprehension to what he had discovered in the universe by saying that it was 10,000 billion light years from one uh, of the edges of its perimeter to the other. And he said if you started out at any given point in the universe and you traveled far enough, you'd have to bend around the closed system of the universe and come back where you started from. And he assured me that his love was like that. Only it couldn't be measured by 10,000 billion light years, that it had no dimension that could define its infinite capacity to wrap itself around whatever life, whatever experience, whatever situation, whatever circumstance I find myself in. Go as far as you dare, he said. Go as deep as you must. Go as long as you can. And when you can't go any further, expect to see a new portion of my love revealed to you. Is that good news? That's the pot at the end of the rainbow. It's the light at the end of the tunnel. It's the silver lining to the dark cloud. Whatever you are, wherever you are, whatever your circumstances this morning, if you belong to Jesus, I promise you, it will result in a new revelation of his love for you. Makes you want to get up a half hour early in the morning. <laughs> See what's going to happen. He said, what height? Let's talk about the height. How high is the love of Jesus for me? Oh, he said, higher than any height you've ever seen. And higher than any height you ever will see. I said, how high is it? He said, it's higher than all the walls of your prison. Higher than all the barricades men build around you. Higher than all the giants in the land that I have to look up to and feel like a grasshopper in their prayers. He said that his love for me was higher than all the waves that I imagine are going to sweep over me and destroy me every day of my life. He said it's higher than all of the circumstances of your life. And then he told me this. He said it's higher than any spiritual mountaintop you've ever been on. If you think you ever arrived at any spiritual experience of great joy and a real heart knowledge of my love, oh, I have some new surprises for you. It's higher than any mountaintop you ever ascended to. There are mountaintops to my love that you've never seen yet. 
And if you explore them for the rest of eternity, you will never climb the highest mountain. Because the love of Jesus for you is higher than the highest heights. These terms of dimension are only relative to the heights you've known. Elijah was a man who had ascended to the heights. He'd been on Mount Carmel and spoken face to face with God and called upon God to answer him in fire, and God did. He had ascended to all kinds of mountaintop experiences, and he had been on the highest mountain when he stood in the cave and heard the wee small voice of God in his heart and communed with him. And when Elijah thought he had explored all the mountain peaks of spiritual experience, God sent a chariot down and took him higher than he'd ever been in his life. In the same way with Moses, he stood on the Mount of Nebo and looked into the Promised Land, from which they say you could see from Dan to Beersheba on a clear day. And he thought he had seen all the mountains there were, and that the love of Jesus, as he knew it himself, and he did know it, read Hebrews 11, it was for the love of Jesus that he forsook Egypt. And Moses thought he'd known it all and seen it all as he stood on Mount Sinai, Mount Nebo, and all of the great mountain peaks of his life. Yet in his final hour, God took him to be with himself and showed him more heights of the love of Jesus than he had ever known in his life. And so did he not with Enoch, who walked with God and ascended all kinds of mountaintop experiences only to walk with God into his very home a new height. So he said, don't worry about how high you go. You'll never get high enough to exhaust my love. And above every height you attain, there will be a new revelation of love. And then he assured me of this. This love surpasses, excels, and goes beyond any knowledge you will ever have. And I said, okay, I agree to that. Does that mean any knowledge anybody will ever have? Yes. It means that the love of Christ to yet be experienced by me exceeds all the knowledge Paul himself had. Think of that. Paul was caught up in paradise in the third heavens itself and Jesus said, don't worry about it. There's more to my love than he ever learned. Don't be afraid to explore it. But Paul knew a lot about the love of Christ, Yes. But there's more than his knowledge ever laid hold of. And then he said, if all the saints of all ages compile their knowledge of my love for them and put it in one huge revelation, the depths and the heights and the length and the breadth of my love for you would go beyond the total combination of all the knowledge all the saints of all time have ever accumulated of the love of Jesus. Boy, there's a, there's a land out there that's full of milk and honey. And he said, then, I'll tell you this. If you have all of the hundred million angels in heaven together, and you ask them to tell you all they knew about my love, after they had exhausted their knowledge, there would be more height, more length, more depth, and more breadth to my love than all of them together have ever ascertained. That's a lot of love. My love for you, he said, has no beginning. 
As my Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. When did his Father love him? Well, somebody give me the date when he started loving him. There isn't any date. He loved him before there was any time. He loved him before there was any world. The Father loved the Son before there was a universe. He loved the Son before there was an angel. He loved the Son before there was anything. In the beginning was God. And the Word was with God. That's Jesus. And in that beginning, a term only relative to us, the Father loved him. Before the foundation of the world, he loved him. His love for the Son had no beginning. And as the Father loved the Son, he said, So I've loved you. That means my love for you, that little man, had no beginning. I loved you before there was a world. I loved you before there was a universe. I loved you before there was time. I loved you before there was an angel. I loved you when there was no one but my father and me. And as he loved me, I loved you. And that eventually, you see, brought all these things to pass. For as my father loved me and loved you through me, so I came to do my father's will, which was bring you to him so that we could take up where we left off. I and him and you and me. Isn't that a good place? Isn't that a good place? And he said, my love is without an end. <laughs> it had no beginning and it has no end. Remember he said how you learned from Ephesians the second chapter that in eternity, that eternity as you know it will be composed of continuous ages. Like a giant Roman candle, one bursting out of the previous. And in each successive age, it will be filled with a fresh revelation of God's unspeakable mercy and his kindness to us in the love of Christ. Heaven and eternity is going to be one long university where we learn in successive semesters of eons a new length and height and depth and breadth of the love of Jesus for us. So it doesn't have any end. But as you know, something that has no beginning and has no end has no middle. And if it has no middle, he said, rest assured, you can't ever reach the halfway point in your experience and knowledge of my love. And if you never reach the halfway point, the half will never yet have been told. And when eternity rolls on and on and on, you'll still be in the first half of learning of how deep, how long, how wide, how high my love is for you. Then I get bothered with little rational propositions, you know. 
and I would say little boy things like, I want to learn it all. I want to go as high as there is to go, as low as there is to go. I want to go as wide as I can go and as long as I can go. I don't want to rest in the first half of this kind of love. I want it all. I want the fullness of the knowledge of his love for me. And he said, you don't know what you're asking. I'll tell you why you will never know the half of my love and why you never can. And oh, how it brought me back down to earth again when he told me things I knew in my heart were true. First of all, he said, you will never know how much I love you because you will never know how great a sinner you really are. Never would you know. Your heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all else. And he said, every day you explore the depths of your heart, you think you've found the deepest depth. You think you've soared to the highest height, gone out to the endless width of it. But oh, he said, the boundaries of your sin are beyond your comprehension. Do you believe that? How, he said, can you ever know the length and breadth and height and depth of my love when you haven't even begun to comprehend the dimensions of your sin? For my love is relative to your sin. I can tell you this, where sin abounds, my grace will much more abound. Where sin exists, my love exists in dimensions that far exceed. And oh, you can never learn all there is to know about my love because you can't comprehend sin as I've comprehended it. For instance, he said, do you really know the full glory of my Father? I said, no, Lord. How then can you know how far short you are of it? Have you ever seen the full beauty of the holiness of God? Have you ever looked into the light unapproachable as I have? No, Lord. How then can you comprehend how much darkness is in you? And only if you could comprehend the glory of the face of my Father and the blackness of your sin, only then could you begin to comprehend how much I love you. For it was you I died for. He said, no, you'll never, you'll never exhaust the dimensions of my love for you because, first of all, you don't know how great a sinner you really are. I'm the only one that knows. You don't know how glorious and how holy my Father is, so you can't tell how far short you are of that glory and how much you have missed the mark. You can't tell how ruined you really are until you see the orderly fashion of his righteousness in his totality. He said, will you ever know how your sin has grieved the heart of God? Will you ever know how it touched the very heart of my father? Read it in Genesis 6, he reminded me. It grieved God at his heart. When he saw the sin of man, man wasn't grieved at all because he had no comprehension of the grief of his heart. He said, how can you know the dimensions of my love until you know how deep the wound was in the heart of God you made with your sin? 
and you will never know the dimensions of my love until you know the healing power of the sweet ointment and the balm of Gilead when I carried my precious blood to the Holy of Holies and put it on the mercy seat. You will never know the preciousness of that blood and how it healed the wound of my father's heart and brought him to rest as it brought you to rest. You will never exhaust the dimensions of my love because you have never begun to comprehend the limitless dimensions of his wrath the height and the length and the breadth and the width of it. You've never begun to comprehend the depths and the heights and the widths and the length of his judgments. And you have never yet even begun to comprehend the wiles and strategies, the snares and the fiery darts of Satan. Not until you have some comprehension of these things will you ever know how much I love you. Will you ever know how much my love is wrapped around you like space bending around matter? My love is wrapped around you to the endless limitations of your experience. But how can you know how much I love you until you fully know my own merits in the eyes of my Father? The power of my intercession at his throne. The acceptance of my person in your behalf. The glory that will be yours in that day when you're made like me. Why, if all the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that should be revealed to us, the dimensions of my love can never be known here or in heaven. I'm glad for that because I'm a man that tires of things when I feel like I've reached an end of them. Now you say, well, that is a very egotistical statement because you assume that you have learned all there is to learn about things and then you tire of it. It isn't that. I also have the capacity to recognize when I come to the end of my abilities. Uh, I tire of things when my ability will not enable me to enjoy it anymore. That's why I'll eventually quit playing softball. When I feel that uh, my abilities have, have been used to their greatest capacity and I can't increase my efficiency in this particular thing, then I'll be tired of it. I tire of things very easily, don't you? I get finished with things when I explore the depth and the height and the length and the breadth of them. When I've learned all that my little mind can comprehend, I just tire of it. And somehow I had the idea somewhere along the line, uh, I didn't develop it theologically, but in my mind, uh, apparently, I had the idea that when Jesus came to take us to himself, and I saw him as he really was, and he made me like he is now, that in one blazing moment of revelation, I would know all there was to know about him, and know all there was to know about me, and I thought, what am I going to do for the rest of eternity? Count the bricks in the street? the stones and the walls. What's to learn? Oh, I'm so glad he showed me this. <laughs> he said that after the first eternity is rolled along, you will look back and say, I haven't even learned the half of it yet. He said, one long eternity afterwards, you will never have learned the half of it yet. My love is without beginning and it's without end and you'll never reach the middle. And that means that all eternity will be one glorious exploration of love. 
Every day, I will give you a new revelation of my love for you. Every day, I will show you how much higher it was than you ever thought. How deep it was. Deeper than you ever thought. How broad it was. Broader than you ever imagined. I will show you how long it is. Longer than you ever dreamed. And I said, Lord, I can't wait to go to heaven. That's what I want to go for. He said, why don't you start by bringing heaven to earth? That's what it's all about here. Death doesn't mean that it is a door into a new experience. He said, death is only a change of location. Same game. You get that message? Just a change of location. Same game. So he said, why don't you start that? I said, boy, I'm ready to go start. Where do you want me to start, Lord? He said, I'll tell you where to start. Start learning about yourself. And then learn about your self-righteousness. And after you've meditated on that, and you've sunk down in despair, and said, a man as sinful as I, as self-righteous as I am, surely I've exceeded the boundaries of his love. And he said, when you're all finished with that, and you've sat down and judged yourself to have gone beyond the perimeter of my love, I'll remind you that the discovery of my love is not anything you can do, but it is the work of the Holy Spirit who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all you ask and all you ever thought. And he will do it according to the power that works in you, and that power, he told me, is myself. And I said, what's the key word? The key word is let me show you how much I love you. Do not be afraid of the depths, nor the heights, nor the length or the breadth. Just let me, and I'll show you. Isn't that good? It's a key word. It's yield. It's want to. It's willingness. It's desire above everything else. Oh, what a, what a vast land is out there. I thought, you know, when I learned about Jesus' love for me at the cross, there wasn't, there wasn't anything would ever exceed that. And I go from mountaintop to mountaintop and from depth to depth. And from east to west. Oh, the length, the height, the depth, and the breadth of the love of Christ. And the Holy Spirit is praying now through Paul for you that this might be reality in your daily walk with Jesus. When it does, we'll be rooted and grounded. Two word pictures are there, and then I'm closing. The rooting speaks of a tree or a vine. The grounding speaks of a building. So Paul, in two real fast metaphors, said, you'll be rooted and grounded. And they flash through his spiritual mind, at least, whether they get to yours or not. And he sees a great tree planted by the waters. And he sees the root system going deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And he says that a man who is filled with the fullness 
of the love of Jesus in his experience will be like a giant tree. The more the wind blows its top, the deeper the roof will go. The more the storm shaketh, the more secure it is. He only knows that his roof will hold. He's like a building whose foundation is on the very bedrock itself. I'm sure he must have the temple in mind with its huge granite stones fastening it to the bedrock of the earth itself as secure as the earth itself. And he said, a man who walks in the experiential knowledge of Jesus' love, who expects to have the Holy Spirit reveal it to him behind every depth, above every height, beyond every breadth and length, He'd be like a great building whose foundation can't be moved. Steadfast and sure through every storm. That's all you need and that's all I need. Jesus loves me. This I know. Let us pray. Thank you, Father, for thy word. Thank you for this message. Apply it to our lives. And may we leave this building expecting in every circumstance of this day, every situation in our life, no matter how deep it may seem to us, or how high, how long, or how wide, help us to go out of this building expecting that when we come to the end of it, we shall find a fresh revelation of the love of Jesus for us, and consequently, your love for the Son through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Lord bless you.